0: Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast, stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacey Brookman. As a marriage and family therapist, I was confronted over and over with men who really don't know how to be men and they're making a mess of their families, they're making a mess of their lives. So that's why I started that, to create a setting where there's confidentiality and there's no superficiality and we see men really dramatically change and grow.
1: Hey guys, this is Stacy, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast with stories of real life people who've had real tough situations. Have you been through certain rites of passage that were memorable or some you'd like to maybe forget about? Today's guest, Evan Hansen, brought his son through a specific journey from boyhood to manhood and chronicled it in his book called Two Journeys to Manhood, Rediscover the Power of a rite of passage for your son. In this interview, Evan shares what most fathers miss in raising their sons. But wait, I've got something to share before we dive into the interview.
0: You've always been a strong person, stronger than you realize actually. But sometimes, thinking about the past unearths emotions and memories, that are painful. Let us take you step-by-step through discovering your life story and the wisdom and healing power that it holds. Register now for Stacy's next free webinar where she reveals the four simple proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story this week. Simply click on the link in the show notes or head to stacybrookmancom webinar.
1: I love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is Stacy at Stacybrookman.com. I know you're eager to hear our guests, so let's welcome Evan
0: Hansen. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
1: Before we get into your book, tell us a little bit about Wild Hope Legacy. What is that?
0: Well, as a marriage and family therapist, um, I was confronted over and over with uh, men who really don't know how to be men, and they're making a mess of their families, they're making a mess of their lives. And So, in addition to my personal journey about what does it really mean to be a man, I decided to create an opportunity for men to get together in a confidential setting with a focus of learning how to be men. Now, I'm a man of faith, and so we use a biblical basis for this, and although it's not a Bible study and it's not church, it's, mm-hmm. it's a setting where uh, what is uh, a man and what's required of us? So The word wild hope really has a subtext meaning meaning to it, wild meaning that it's not tame or domesticated and that God is wild and wants us to be wild as men, but not men who beat people up or destroy people in a wild sense. And then hope, the definition of hope that we use is a divine expectation, is what does God require of us? And so you put those two together and then help men to create a setting where there's confidentiality and there's no superficiality. And we see men, whether they're 20 or 60, really dramatically change and grow. So that's why I started that uh, seven years ago here. And uh, we have uh, about 150 men involved in that currently.
1: That's exciting. What part of the country is that in? I'm in southwest Oregon
0: a little town okay. called Grant's Pass, which only has a population of about 35,000 people.
1: That's pretty neat. And you've been trying to write your book for over seven years as well. Oh. Tell us a little bit about your book.
0: Well, after I was actively working with my son, my friends would come to me and say, you know, Evan, you got to write a book about this. And I thought, oh, i, I I really don't know if I qualify here because I'm still in a process of trying to prepare my son to be a man. He's 14, 15 years old. Really, what right do I have to write about this yet? And I delayed uh, and delayed and delayed. And then finally, my son would, you know, a man. And then it just started rattling around in my head. And people come up to me and says, well, when are you going to write your book? And I went, "I, I, 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 I. i i don't know if I have what it takes to write a book. I was frankly quite intimidated and mm-hmm. i'm not a, a writer uh, per se uh, I've learned to write, and so finally, it just came down to I just couldn't dodge it any longer, and I just dove in and I started writing and lo and behold, it came out Wow.
1: So tell me what your book is all about. It's about raising your son, or how to raise. Well, it's not sons? a
0: how-to book as much as you know, because there's a bunch of parenting books out there, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to tell a story because I think that story is the most powerful medium to impact people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to tell a story of where I began this journey personally, and it happened for me in a counseling session, of all things, when I was asked a pretty simple question, uh, when did you become a man? Well, up to that point in my life, I'd done a lot of things. I'd worked for a Fortune 500 company. I'd been in the military. I'd been married 15 years. I had a son. I owned businesses, and I kind of thought to myself, do any of those count? And <laughs> uh, I was a guy that had answers, and I didn't have an answer for that, and that really troubled me. Because when I walked away from that session that day, I thought immediately about my son, who is four, four and a half, five years old. And I thought, what am I going to tell him if he asked me this? Right. And that's where this journey began. The book is the story of that day in that office all the way up till the day that I, in the presence of many other men, blessed my son as a man. So, it's two parts. It's my struggle personally, and why didn't I know what that was, despite the fact that I had a father, and uh, what was really irony of this, Stacey, is I was in graduate school to become a marriage and family therapist, Mm -hmm. and so I'm going to help people, and they're probably going to ask me something like this, and I'm going, I just don't have an answer. Right. So, in a first-person story format, I uh, just chronicled, if you will, in a very brief way, that journey that culminated in my son's manhood.
1: Now, was it easy for you to get that out onto paper, or was it difficult?
0: No, it was actually quite easy when I really began to say, well, I don't have to be an authority, but I'm an expert on my own story. And when I just let myself write my story, and my wife is an editor, and I think that, in part, was one of the reasons why I didn't write it, because she would say, well, you could do it this way and you could do it that way, and I just really would get shut down. And mm-hmm. and so, finally, I said, you know, I can't do this. Let me just get this out. And then you guys can look at it and say, we don't understand this. But I, what I was really trying to struggle to say to many people is I don't know what my voice is. Right, and and so until I began writing, I didn't know what my voice was. Mm-hmm.
1: I think a lot of people struggle with that. They don't consider themselves writers, and they're they're afraid it's not going to come out just right, and you know their their words are are not pretty mm-hmm. initially coming out, and so they either put it off for a long time like you did, or never. Write their story. Mm-hmm. How did you? How did you get that to, where you, to that point where you started? Okay, I've just got to write. Just got to get it
0: out. A thought just came to me when you were speaking. I think what finally had cut me loose and allowed me to be free was to say, "I'm going to tell a story instead of write a book." And there you go. when I allowed myself to be a storyteller, which I am by nature, then. I just simply was reliving the story. It was quite easy because it already had been scripted.
1: Right. Tell me about your writing habits. Did you have any good writing habits, bad writing habits?
0: Well, it's interesting. I already have written a a second book, which will come out in April. And my first book took me seven plus years to write. My second book, I did it in two and a half weeks. And the reason why is because the feedback that I got from the first book was so positive. It's like, yes, I can do this. And, yeah. and so the, the technique that I began to use was I got a little app that was a timer. And the, the most creative time for me is in the morning. And so after I would work out, I would go to my computer. And I also learned that if I stand up, I write better than when I sit down and i would click the timer on and i would stay in that place until in this case 70 minutes passed and so that seems like a long time but 70 minutes seemed to just go by really quickly and then when it went off i'd close it up and and i wouldn't come back until tomorrow
1: right so you were free writing basically in in long uh sessions
0: correct i had yeah. i had the story was laid out and i knew where i wanted to to go and then I kind of had to learn, was this too much or too little? And I heard a, an interesting statistic that you may be aware of with regards to length of books and the uh, a shorter book, the percentage of people who finish shorter books is significantly higher than mm-hmm. longer books. Right. And I'm a kind of guy that when I write, I want to get right to the point and, and not really belabor things. And so, my book ended up being a short book. It's only 63 pages long. However, I wrote it for men primarily because, mm-hmm. and not that I'm excluding women, but if a man will read it, certainly a woman will. And uh, that's been kind of my beta test is I've listened to people who have read the book, mostly men, and they go, I couldn't put it down and I was able to, to read it completely in two sittings.
1: Wow. So tell us, what are some of those discoveries that you made that you are sharing with the world in this book about how to become a man?
0: Well, what I want to share is that what I have done is not a new idea, that it has plenty of historical precedents. In fact, every culture up to the Industrial Revolution, had some kind of rite of passage for boys, one way or the other. There's a myriad of different kinds. And what I learned was that I certainly couldn't initiate my son into manhood the way that maybe they did back in the 1800s, and I'd probably go to jail for that. (laughs) But the elements, I learned, are all the same, regardless if it's Iceland or it's uh, Peru is that we find similar element, And I learned that I could design something that was meaningful for my son, meaningful for the people that were a part of it, and more importantly, I was able to leave a legacy. And that's really big for me, Stacey, is to, I want to leave a legacy. And I think, the, and I discovered you as what you're really trying to encourage people to say, is that writing is a form of a legacy. Right. And the legacy that I wanted to leave as I wrote this book was not only information, but secondarily, I wanted to leave a legacy with my son as a man. Now, what's really cool is seven months ago, my son became a father to a grandson. Oh, wow. So, I have a grandson who, and so, as I look at him and my son wrote the foreword to this book, I didn't know what he was going to write, but I have to tell you, I I get kind of tingly feelings when I even mention that. What a blessing it was to have your son without giving you any preview, write what he wrote about the process and about me. Wow.
1: So, that's that was one of my questions to ask you is, what does your son think about the book? Because it was essentially writing about you coaching him or, or guiding him into manhood, so it's about him, right. and now it's out into the world. What does he think about that? Well
0: he has obviously been with me the whole time as I've been very active involved with men and with parents doing this. And so what it becomes to him personally is that through the process, my son was a pretty normal young man. There were times when he was angry at me for doing this. Why do I have to do this? My friends aren't doing this. Mm -hmm. And I just, kind of said, well, son, I appreciate the fact that you don't want to do this, but you don't get a vote. (laughs) And (laughs) so here he is as an adult male, and he now recognizes that he has a responsibility. It's been passed to him that he gets to pass on to his son. And so as a young man in his 30s, he now realizes the value of a father who pays attention to his son. And that's what I hear in his voice over and over.
1: What do you find that most, that maybe not most, but a lot of fathers miss in raising sons?
0: I think the, the first thing that I would immediately say that fathers miss is that they believe that if I feed and clothe, send my son to school, get him a good education, and possibly send him to church, that's all it's necessary for him to become a man. And that is just so far from the truth. It's it's not funny. There is a great quote that I use frequently when I public speak. is uh, It's an African proverb. It says that if we don't initiate our sons, they'll burn our village down just to feel the heat. Mm. And so, wow. And so right, what we discovered is that we are in our third generation here, where the rite of passage of ending a boy's childhood, but preparing him to be a genuinely good man. It's become irrelevant to our culture. And so fathers aren't actively omitting this. It's just simply, it's just sliding into a place of obscurity. Hmm.
1: And what would that initiation look like in modern days?
0: Well, there's basic elements of initiation. It starts with a, a period of time where a boy separates himself in a sense and moves out of the mother's realm into the father's realm. That doesn't mean he doesn't like his mother or doesn't talk to her anymore. But all initiation start with a separation where the son now is connected to man and masculinity. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lengthy period of preparation. In my case, it was better than five years of actively talking to my son about one day you'll become a man. And mm-hmm. then another part of that, in that preparation, was skill development. I wanted my son to not only know that he was a man, but prepare him for things socially, for relationships, uh, simple things like, "How do you love a woman?" Right, and he right. needs to hear that from his dad, and mm-hmm. because our culture is going to say things, and sadly, a lot of them are not very good for certainly women, and. Right. And so, I worked very, very strategically and consciously assigned to say, how can I help my son be prepared for this kind of stuff? And then, when he moves to the next stage in the rite of passage is that I used a community of men who came around me and supported me. I just didn't do this solo. And he, at one point, had to visit with 18 different men, and I allowed those men to speak into my son's life and share the failures that they would want him to know about, things that they would have done differently, mistakes they made from divorce to pornography to business failures, because at 13 or 14, dad's not the brightest guy in the room.
1: Right. (laughs) But these
0: men, he listened to them, and it was a very significant time for us to uh, talk about what did you just hear these men say. And after he had Completed all that long preparatory phase, he then went into a place where uh, he was separated from normal day-to-day places. I put him in a place of solitude. His mother wrote him a a farewell letter, and the Mm -hmm. farewell to your childhood, and I look forward to, to developing a relationship with you as a man. And so, it took my wife a week to write that letter. It's lots of tears. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was very, very significant. I, too, wrote him a letter about how my role as a father who is actively parenting you is over. And what I'd like to move to now is to be your friend and to be an advisor. But an advisor only gives advice when it's asked for. Right. And so, in that time of solitude, and he was in, in a wilderness setting for three days, And there's a lot more parts to that, but it was a separation, a time for him to contemplate, and a time for him to actively, in some ways that we uh, put out there for him to do, was to say, How are you going to end your childhood? So he needed to bring something as symbolic of his childhood into that space, which he then left behind. We then brought him out of the space and into a group of men, and I was there, and at that time, I had an opportunity to both challenge my son and bless him as a man among men. Mm. And then from there we went to a community because it's the last part of integration is all of us have been to weddings, and certainly you're gonna, you just told me about one, a very important one. And right. and weddings are public reaffirmations about an institution called marriage or the creation of a family. And so people come around and they celebrate that. Because mm-hmm. in the old days, we gain a family. We gain a different, instead of two individuals, it's a family. And so in the rite of passage, always is the boy who's now a man. He's reintegrated into the community. And so we had a big party. Mom was there and all his friends. So it's like a wedding. And we, right, and, we, right. and we introduced our son as a man. If you were to ask my son today, and he's 32. When did you become a man? He'll tell you exactly the day.
1: What an amazing legacy that, you're give, that you have given him and that he can now give to his son as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Evan, thank you so much for sharing this with us and tell us the name of your book again.
0: The book title is Two Journeys to Manhood. Rediscover the Power of a Rite of Passage for Your Son, it, and it's available on Amazon. It's in Kindle and in hardback. Okay. And your next book, your second book? The second book will come out in April, and that one will be called 28 Summits, and that is a another story, first-person story, of an experience that my son and I completed where we climbed 28 mountains in five months. and. The subtitle is Using Life Experiences to Build Character in Your Son's Life.
1: Uh, Let me ask you one final question. Do you think a lot of this, much of this is applicable to women and girls and growing up girls to be young women as well?
0: Not at all. Or no? Not at all. Because what happens is that a girl is thrust into womanhood. Biologically and, and genetically, as she goes through a change, and if you look historically, that's probably where we would get our answer stronger than my answer. So we don't mm-hmm. we don't see women's rites of passage, uh, we see other sorts of rituals among women about being women of responsibility. But in the absence of the rite of passage for men, what we see is a plethora of old boys.
1: Mm-hmm. Well. Evan, this has been wonderful information, and I'm excited to share this with our listeners. And where can they find you online?
0: I have a website, 936weekstomanhood.com, and I have a face, Facebook page, 936 Weeks to Manhood. And if they want to connect with me personally, they can email me at Evan at 936 manhood.
1: Fabulous information. I'm excited for you. This is neat.
0: Thank you for having me. It's a privilege for me to be on your show.
1: Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. Evan's interview got me to thinking about those things we need to teach our children but often miss out on. We're really not raising kids, are we? We're really raising adults. We want our kids to grow up to be healthy and happy. And in order to do that, we need to teach them a lot of things that aren't taught in school. That goes for girls as well as boys. And it really does take a community. Maybe think about some of those kids that are in your life, whether it's your own, or your nieces and nephews, grandkids, neighbor kids, or kids you're connected to in other ways. In what way can you and I help mold those kids? Help them mature with the tools Skill set and the understanding that they need to become resilient adults. What rites of passage need to come about? And who do you need to take under your wing to give a little advice to? I'm going to ponder that myself. That's all we have for today. In the last episode, Matt Gagnon discussed methods to gracefully weather life's transitions. So if you've had a recent transition in your life, or going through one now, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Ed Sazewski, author of Coffee House Theology. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. Before you go, don't forget to go and register for the upcoming webinar, Four Simple Proven Methods to Writing the First Chapter of Your Life Story in Just Seven Days. Head over to stacybrookman.com slash webinar for that. One more thing, we're doing something fun and we're counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day is Karen Blixen's Out of Africa, written in 1937. Danish Countess Karen Blixen, she's also known as Isaac Dennison, ran a coffee plantation in Kenya in the years when Africa remained a romantic and formidable continent. Out of Africa is her account of her life there with stories of her respectful relationships with the Maasai, Kikuyu, and Somali natives who worked on her land, the European friends who visit her, and the imposing permanence of the wild highland itself. Check out all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com 100memoirs. And remember, it is never too late to tell your stories.